Let's pray. Father, give us grace to know your mind this morning. Give us grace as we look into this passage and we wrap up our study on the book of Ephesians. We pray that the lessons we've learned all along may not be lost, but that we might make it as a mental habit to think of ourselves in the regal terms in which you describe us. That we might learn to bring ourselves under your declaration of who we are in Christ Jesus. And that the wealth of our position would inform the eager sacrifice that we want to make for you and your kingdom. We have such a little time right now to glorify you with this short life. And forevermore, for eons and eons upon end, we will enjoy the fruits of what Christ earned for us. So may we work while the sun is shining, for the night is coming. And may we do so with the knowledge of your redemption, your adoption, and your empowering of us. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was February 24th, 1836, and a few hundred Texans had gathered in the garrison that we know as the Alamo. It was a complicated um, political situation, to say the very least. Texas had become its own nation, and the Texans had, or I believe the technical term is Texians, but I'm not going to say that. We're going to call them Texans. They would gathered as troops in the Alamo. Santa Ana and his forces were coming upon them, and it was clear to the commanding officer, William Barrett Travis, that things were not good. And so he wrote a famous letter from the Alamo on February 24th, and it goes like this. To people, to the people of Texas and all Americans in the world, fellow citizens and compatriots, I am besieged by a thousand or more Mexicans under Santa Ana. I have sustained a continual bombardment and cannonade for 24 hours and have not lost a man. The enemy has demanded a surrender at discretion. Otherwise, the garrison are to be put to the sword if the fort is taken. I have answered the demand with a cannon shot, and our flag still waves proudly from the walls. I shall never surrender or retreat. Then, I call on you in the name of liberty and patriotism and everything dear to the American character to come to our aid with all dispatch. The enemy is receiving reinforcements daily and will no doubt increase to three or four thousand in four or five days. If this call is neglected, I am determined to sustain myself as long as possible and die like a soldier who never forgets what is due to his honor and that of his country. Victory or death. William Barrett Travis, Lieutenant Colonel Commandant. P.S. The Lord is on our side. <laughs> well, maybe the Lord was on his side, maybe the Lord wasn't. We don't exactly know. We know that in six days, he and all of his men were killed. And this set off a string of events that led to the Mexican-American War a few years later. This is probably the most famous personal letter that American has ever written. And it ends with a P.S. P.S. Postscript. Well, here in the book of Ephesians, we have a very similar situation. 
Paul has just called us to arms. He's called us to stand fast. He's called us never to back down. He's called us to stand our ground in God's power through prayer. And then at the end of this rousing call to arms, he has a postscript. And that's what we're going to study today. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24, which is the P.S. on the letter that it is in fact a call to arms. Like I said, let's get a little context before we move forward. Paul has just finished this Christian call to arms, stand fast in God's power through prayer, and the call finishes, of course, with a personal flourish. He says, I'm an ambassador in chains. I'm a prisoner for this gospel, and I've been sent on an official commission, and I don't answer to the people I'm preaching to. I answer to the king who sent me. This is Paul, in his way of saying victory or death. I don't answer these people that have me imprisoned. I answer to God. And I pray that you would help me to preach boldly, that I would say the very thing that will keep me imprisoned. Well, it might keep me imprisoned, but that's okay, because it's God's message, and I need boldness. And so, this declaration, this request for prayer, that he would be a bold and complete ambassador for the Lord as a nice natural transition. He says, and as you pray, I'm going to send along some personal details about myself through this man, Tychicus. His declaration leads naturally to this personal postscript. But one thing that I want us to know from this postscript, from the way that Paul speaks here. Now, so you know, Paul puts these little postscripts at the end of almost all of his letters. They ought not to be neglected. They're of extremely high value, especially in the behind-the-scenes look that we get of how Christians talk to one another, how Christians related to one another, how ministers interacted with each other. And we see that Paul's desire was not simply just to educate them. Paul was in this community with them. And we get a behind-the-scenes look at how he furthered this education with a personal touch. And so today we have three themes that we're going to explore from this little postscript, and the three themes are these. Partnership, affection, and a God-focused attitude. I couldn't think of a way to get God-focused, God-centered into one word, but if you come up with one, I can alter my outline so that I'll never... I'm probably not going to preach this again anytime soon, so you tell me, I'll slide it in there, and then I'll have it for next time. Uh, But if you can think of a single word for God-focused, then we'll do that. But the three themes we'll have for today, partnership, affection, and God-focused. Let's look, first of all, at the partnership we see here in this little postscript. Notice here that Paul says, I'm sending Tychicus primarily for communication. Look right here. He says, so that you may know. He's going to, that's a, it means in order that or so that. And then he repeats it again later on. He says, and I send him for this very purpose that you may know. Paul is wanting him to communicate how I am and what I'm doing. Paul is not saying, hey, I'm an apostle, you, you don't, I'm not to be held accountable to you. That's not what he's saying at all. In fact, he's saying you, as one of my sending partnering churches, have every right to know what I'm doing, have every right to know how I'm getting along, 
have every right to know what's going on with my personal affairs. And so that you can be informed, I know you're concerned, I know you care, I know you want to know these details about me, so that you can be comforted. I'm going to communicate with you. And Tychicus is instructed here to tell you everything. Pontos, everything. He's going to tell you about what a day is like in my life, what a day is like in his life. Tychicus is coming with this letter, yes, to instruct you theologically, but he's also coming to help you. Paul also is partnering with this man, Tychicus, in ministry. Paul had a network of people that he worked with, a team of individuals. He had ministers who served underneath of him. And Tychicus was one of these very faithful lieutenants that Paul mentions frequently in the New Testament. We see in, uh, for example, I have written a, little, a short little biography of what we can glean about the life of Tychicus. We're told in Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 5, that he's an Asian Christian. He's a person who's been converted on one of Paul's missionary journeys, and he's from the country of, he's from the region, the Asian region. He's not from the European side. He was in charge of delivering this letter, hand-delivering this letter, and may have even been the one who read it publicly to the church at Ephesus. In this same journey, almost certainly, he carried a second letter with him, and that was to the church of Colossae. He hand-delivered both the Ephesian, the book, the, the, the letter that we would call the book of Ephesians, and the letter that we would call the book of Colossians. And many years hence, in 2 Timothy 4.12, we find out that Tychicus is still Paul's faithful assistant. Tychicus was a, a trusted man. Now, please don't get the impression that the Apostle Paul, one day, sitting in jail, decided, I'm going to work, I'm going to write a quick letter and send it off to the Ephesians. And in one, maybe two settings, he rattled off these words, and Tychicus wrote them down and ran off with them. That's not how quality literature works. Did you know that Ernest Hemingway said he made it his goal to write one good sentence a day. <laughs> Writing quality literature is hard, arduous, sometimes tedious work. And I can imagine that Paul, given the depth of the book of Ephesians, labored over this manuscript for weeks, even months. He put the outline together. He structured it together. He sat and brainstormed over just the right word. I'm sure he had parchments laid out everywhere with crossouts and additional notes and edits. That's how every good literature, that, that's how literature is made. And at the end of all that work, he entrusted it to Tychicus. And when I was a, when I was a undergrad student, um, I had a, a, a very important project that I'd been working on. I was taking a class called Field Methods in Linguistics. And what we were doing was studying a language that none of us had ever known. And we were making a grammar for it. And in class, we would sit down and 
we would ask this student questions, and she would answer them in her language, and we all semester long wrote out a grammar. And everything has to be done in pencil and notebook paper because you're writing phonetically a little diacritical marks and so forth. Well, it was at the end of the semester. I was about to submit my project. On my desk, in my dorm room, I had papers spread out everywhere, all in pencil. None of it can be replicated. A high school student who was visiting the campus came into my room and got in a water fight with his friend and got water all over my documents. He had been scheduled to stay in my room that evening. And I decided he wasn't going <laughs> to. I gathered his stuff, and I put it outside the door and said, you can stay anywhere in the world tonight, but not in as I had my pieces of paper under a fan. <laughs> the dorm supervisor came to try to calm me down, and I just said, no, not welcome in here ever again anymore. Eventually, I don't remember who relented. Somebody relented. I don't remember if it was me or the dorm supervisor, but I don't think that young man stayed in my dorm room that night. Um, I think I took his friend, and somebody else took the dorm student. You can imagine given the amount of work and labor that the Apostle Paul put into this manuscript. He wouldn't just hand this off to anybody to deliver it to the Ephesian church. I would imagine that it would only be given to his most trusted assistant, especially since it was assumed that that assistant would fill in the blanks, answer questions. And we've had many questions about Ephesians reading it. You can imagine what they would say. What does he mean by that? How did he mean this? How did he mean that? It's really remarkable that the Apostle Paul would entrust such an important task to anybody. But you see here a deeply held partnership and trust between himself and this man Tychicus. The second thing I want us to notice is the word affection. Affection. Paul is concerned not only to teach the Ephesians, but to reassure, encourage, and share. In fact, we're told here that he sent Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister, to tell them everything. He said, I sent them to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. If you were to circle that word encourage and write a word in there that you might be a little more familiar with, what if I told you this word was the word we use for paraclete or for the Spirit of God, what the Spirit does for us? The encourager, the admonisher, the one who warns, the one who pushes, the one who always has a right word in the season. God is sending this man Tychicus as support, encouragement, affection. He doesn't, he, he's not delivering this letter just so we'll know more. He's delivering this letter so that we'll know more and have our affections aroused, our spirits encouraged, so we'll be motivated to go out and glorify the Lord who said all these things to us. There's both an educational and, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, an admonishing. 
in the delivery of this letter. And Paul is doing this through the vehicle of affection. Go encourage them. Be affected toward them. Paul's description of Tychicus, I want you to notice, is heartwarming. He calls this man beloved. It's, it's the word agapetos. It's, it's a word that uh, in, the, in other portions of Greek is used to describe the love that a husband and wife feel for each other. They're beloved. This is an intimate relationship that um, Paul and Tychicus have. They, they're, they're close friends. And he calls him faithful. I'm dispatching this man that I love who's, who's faithful. And I want us to notice that Paul is simply using terms of Tychicus that Jesus would say of Tychicus. In other words, Tychicus is beloved in the eyes of Christ. And he is a faithful minister. And because Jesus has assessed Tychicus to be this way, the Apostle Paul says Tychicus is this way. It's not that Jesus retroactively stamped him because Paul recognized it. No, Paul's saying because Jesus has determined him to be such, I'm on the same team as that. Paul is bringing his evaluation up to, where Je- to what Jesus has already said of this man. Notice also the closing phrase in verse 24, Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. He says before, peace be with the brothers. Paul's closing comments hit all the hallmarks of Christian vocabulary. Paul wasn't just putting this on. This is how Christians actually talk to each other. And this is how Paul expected Christians to talk to each other. Peace be with you. Grace to you. Love to you. I want to encourage you. Paul is not concerned to talk about politics or all the other little small talk, chit-chat things that we tend to focus on. You get the impression from Paul's communication here that he not only speaks this way all the time, he expects others to do the same. He expects Christians to have this vocabulary among themselves that highlights grace and mercy and peace and love and what God is doing and how good God is. And if it's a strange thing for those around you to hear you praise the goodness and grace and mercy and love of God, then Paul would say you're a very strange Christian indeed. Because this this sort of conversation is the hallmark of Christian communication and vocabulary. Paul is speaking in these very affectionate terms. He uses this word twice in verse 24. The love of our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible be toward you. Now, I'll save what I was about to say for our application. So, hold... I will hold that thought, and we'll revisit it again in a moment. Let's move to our third point. God-focused. Paul is hitting on something here that is very God-focused. I want us to notice how Paul wraps the entire book with this phrase. Um, Keep your finger here and go over to Ephesians chapter 1, okay? And when you see them together, you'll see what's happening here, okay? So go to Ephesians 1. Look at the first verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints of Ephesus, 
to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful to Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's go back to 624. He says in verse 23, peace, I said 24, I meant 23, peace to the brothers and love with faith from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with you all. Do you see what Paul has done there? He's wrapped the entire book in grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was a literary way This was an ancient literary way when you wrapped a letter like this, when you wrapped a book like this, for telling your reader that the wrapping infuses the whole. I began with grace and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm ending with grace and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Everything in between is grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This book is an infusion of grace and peace to you. God through out. God from start to finish. That's what Paul is trying to get through to his people. This letter is about God from beginning to end. The life described in this book is about God from beginning to end. My life as a servant of Christ is about God from beginning to end, and your life as readers and studiers of this letter is about God and Christ from beginning to end. Furthermore, Paul says something interesting here. Look at verse 24 with me, if you will. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. I have a question for you. Read this again. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Is this a blessing of grace for all humanity? No. Is this a blessing of grace for people who love Christ halfway? No. Paul is saying this is a blessing of grace for people who love Christ in this qualified, what does he say here, incorruptible way. What does Paul mean when he says incorruptible? Now, if you have a study Bible, it might even make note that this is kind of a hard word to understand. Commentators go back and forth. I read, I think, at least four different explanations for what the word incorruptible means. This word can mean, most commonly in the New Testament, means means like our resurrected bodies, which will never be corrupted. But how does that fit what Paul is saying here? Nobody 
It's, it's hard to say. I think the best explanation that I read was this. There was in Jerusalem um, a famous uh, poem. It was a spiritual poem. It wasn't considered a Bible by Old Testament scholars, but it was a very popular poem and a very religious poem, much like we would consider an old hymn of the faith. How many of you know Amazing Grace by heart? Okay. How many of you would say Amazing Grace is Bible? No. <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, it's a poem based on the Bible. Well, there was a poem written about a man and a woman who loved the Lord and loved each other, and this word is used in the poem. And it was a very well-known poem, and it describes a love that a husband and wife have for each other that lasts through all the ups and downs and vicissitudes of life. Think about when you're first married. And we've got some newlyweds among us today, and it's a wonderful type of love. But that love grows through the years. And there's seasons where one partner is sacrificing more than the other. And those vows that you made to have and to hold from this time forth till death do us part mean something. Places are traded very frequently. She has a health need. He has a mental need. She has a spiritual need. He has a financial need. He's down in his work. She's down in the child rearing. And they're constantly sort of trading places as minister and recipient of ministry. That is... Love, according to this poem, that is love incorruptible. Does that make sense? That type of love that lasts through seasons of ups and downs. And I think that best fits with what Paul is saying here. Grace to those of you who are striving with all that you have, to love the Lord Jesus in every season of life. Wherever you find yourself in your Christian journey, may God grant you the grace to continue to love the Lord Jesus Christ in your ups and in your downs, in your mature times and immature times, in your dry seasons and bounteous seasons. Hang on to your faith. May God grant you grace to hang on to love. And what, what this, where this rubber really meets the road is in sort of the unmixed nature of the love. You can't love your spouse through the ups and downs of life if you're loving somebody else or loving something else. And so Paul is bestowing grace on all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ thoroughly 
through every season of life in an unmixed, undefiled kind of way. Grace to you, for whom that is the cry of your heart. But for those with mixed motives, for those who are double-minded, grace to you to call that sin and leave it behind and pursue Christ wholly. Now, let's get to four applications very quickly. I want us to notice, as Paul is wrapping up this letter, neither pride nor ambition. Paul is never, he's, he didn't say to the Ephesians, hey, I'm not accountable to you. You don't have to worry about what I'm doing. Now he says, I'm going to send Tychicus to tell you everything. And you get no sense from Tychicus that he's wanting to maximize his role in this whole thing. In fact, he probably would have just as soon Paul left his name off and he could deliver it and slide into the background. There's no sense of ambition or pride in the Apostle Paul or in his partners in ministry. There's an acceptance of their roles and they're very content in it. I want us, number two, to notice the way Paul expects believers to speak to and about each other. He, he puts these superlatives on Tychicus. He's a beloved and faithful servant. Your, your beloved people, peace be to you. Paul expects that Christians talk about each other that way and talk to each other that way. There, there is a way to create in a person a changed identity. We know this, for example, uh, in our armed services. A young man is recruited. All through the training process, he is called not what he was, but what he is or what he will be. And before long, that identification takes hold, and he wants to rise to become what he's been declared to be. And we in the Christian community need to be speaking of and addressing each other this way so that eventually we get the hint that that's who we are and we begin to rise to meet that declaration that God has made of us. Let me, give, let me give a very small example, okay? So you guys know what I'm talking about. When uh, I became the senior pastor here at Fellowship Bible Church, I was the ripe old age of 32. <laughs> and um, I don't know what the good people of Fellowship Bible Church were thinking in calling me to be their pastor, but they did, and so I, I came here and I'd been here a while, and things were going well. And suddenly there was a, a need, an interpersonal need, one of the people in the church. And 
up to that point, they had only ever called me Greg. And I was fine with that. It was fine to be Greg. And then I got a phone call, went over to their house, and had a conversation. It seemed to go well. They were encouraged. Followed up with them a couple weeks later. And the man got a little emotional, put his arm around me and said, Pastor, thank you. And that was the first time he had called me what I was trying to be. And when I heard that word, I wasn't looking for that. But when he said that, a shock went through me and made me want to rise all the more to be what he was asking me to be. Does that make sense? And we need to speak that way with each other. You're a saint. You are called. You're an ambassador. You're beloved. You're faithful. And in the constant execution of that vocabulary to one another, we'll rise to it. Number three. I want us to notice how palpable this, these connections are to this community. Paul says, I'm sending Tychicus to tell you everything about me, all that I'm doing, all that I am, all that's going on. He's going to send you, he's going to go and he's going to encourage your hearts. I'm thinking about you. I sent him for this very purpose. And you get the sense that the people there are going, Paul, tell us about you. In fact, I'm sure there were people there who listened very patiently to six chapters going, when's he going to tell us about himself? <laughs> We're dying to know what it's like to be where he is. And Paul's like, I, I want that for you. I, they want to know. He wants them to know. There's a real sense of community. It's very important that Christians in the local church be building that that we have a strong sense of connected community. And so I know I've said this many times to folks through the years, but we have several folks who are relatively new here at Fellowship. And I want you to listen to your pronouns and the way that you describe your relationship to Fellowship Bible Church. If after being here for some time, you're still saying you you guys, your church, instead of us, we, our church, that shows that that connection hasn't been totally made yet. And if not, I would encourage you to ask, why not? And if you just can't get there, that's okay. But you need to go find a place for the sake of your soul where us and we and our become almost instant. If you said, you know, fellowship is where God wants me to be, then change those pronouns and the way you talk and think about our community and make it us. And that's when connections will start taking place in the community. I always notice an evolution in people. They'll ask me how your church is going, and then they'll ask me how the church is going, 
And then they'll ask me how our church is going. And I would encourage you to get to the other side, that third one, as soon as you can. Number four, notice Paul's unflinching assumption that genuine faith demands commitment. He's not going to apologize. This is a man in jail, okay? Do not go to the Apostle Paul with your half-motive Christianity, with your mixed-motive Christianity. He's in jail for you, and he expects you to be as all-in as he is, and he's not going to apologize for it. Grace to all those who love Christ incorruptible. Paul's assumption. I'm sending Tychicus. He's dropping everything in his world. His world is now you. He's dropping everything. He's on his way. He's all in. He's committed. I'm committed. I'm in jail. And Paul expects the same commitment from us. And he's unapologetic about it. Because Christ's gospel is to that measure. And we ought to give our lives to it, for Christ has given his life to us. And he's given us all life. So the least we can do is be totally, unflinchingly committed to him. Well, we are going to have one more sermon in the book of Ephesians. What I want us to do next week is take a whole sermon simply to wrap, put the book back in a wrap and hit the highlights again. We've taken it apart. Now let's put it all back together next week. We'll do that next week. But today we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. And so in a moment, Nathan is going to come and lead us in a song. As always, if you didn't make time in your schedule to prepare for um, the Lord's table, that's okay. You can just slip out. Uh, nothing, nothing bad will happen to you if you need to. Um, but we'd invite you to stay. And uh, so at this time, uh, Nathan's going to come, and if you need to slip out, uh, now's your chance.